We're in a series right now called Family Matters, Part 2. And last week, we be, so we've been going through the eight milestones that every child should have by the time they leave uh, our house. And we uh, were looking last week at work ethic. So there's a total of eight. And let's see what number that was. That was number six. So we have two more to go. But this week, we're going to spend another week on work ethic. And we're going to talk about the second, <clears throat> the second part of it. Because if you, if you look at what we said in the milestones, it said we want our kids to have tremendous work ethic with corresponding habits and disciplines. So last week we talked about work ethic. This week we're going to talk about the corresponding habits and disciplines that we are, that we are looking for. So I hope you're having a good time in this series because it's not just what we need to be putting in our kids. It's, it's what we need to have in our own lives as well, right? And we really focused on that from the very beginning Almost every time the question is asked, okay, well, how do I put this in my kids? The number one thing is you have to model it and live it yourself. That's number one. And, and actually, all the other things that you would do um, would be trumped by that first one. If you didn't do that, if you didn't model it, and if you didn't have it in your own life, you could try every strategy in the book to get certain things in your kids. But if you don't have it, you're never going to get it in them. Uh, this is one reason why, you know, it's very difficult when kids start having uh, disrespect towards each other, disrespect towards their parents, for example, is because many times there's disrespect between the parents to each other. It's disrespect in how the parents talk to each other. And even disrespect from the parents to the kids. And so then we say, well, you don't talk to me that way. Well, model it. Now, of course, we know there's a line that, hey, I'm your parent. Don't, you know, that idea of do, you know, do what I say, not what I do. Well, that, that's a good thing to say, but that's not really a good way to live because it doesn't work very well. So we always have to model it. So that's kind of what we're focusing on when we go through this series. We're focusing on ourselves, but we're also focusing on what things do we need to get in our kids. One of the best gifts that you can give your kids as they leave your home is to teach them how to build habits in their life. Let's talk about for just a moment how uh, human beings change, okay? Change is all, almost always a result of some sort of stimuli, right? Some sort of external, maybe even internal thought. It's always a result of some sort of stimuli. Something happens, we learn and grow, and we change as a result. You know, if you, very simple, you put your hand on a hot stove and it burns you, you go, I'm not doing that again, you're changed, Right? And you don't really need another experience. Some, some change is permanent, instant, the first time it happens. You put your hand on the stove, you never forget it. You never do it again unless it's by accident. You never do it again on purpose. So something happened, you had an experience, and you, you changed. And you never went back. However, most change is not like that. Most change is very emotional. Most change does not last because the stimuli does not last. The way that most change, the way that human beings change in general is when the circumstances are there and the pressure is there, the change happens. But the moment that that pressure or that, that circumstance goes away, the change goes away also. It's kind of like, I brought, y'all could see I brought this ugly piece of wood up here this morning. Y'all probably wondering what I was doing with that. Well, it's kind of like this rubber band I've got right here. When I apply 
we'll say stimuli, pressure, whatever, when I apply it, the rubber band changes. And the moment I remove the stimuli, it goes back to the way it was. So emotion, most change is like this. Something happens. Okay, maybe we go to the doctor and we get a bad report and we just, whoo, we just say, okay, I'm changing everything. I'm changing my eating habits. I'm changing my diet. And then you don't go to the doctor for a while and you kind of forget everything he said. And then you start watching TV and you start eating potato chips. And then you look up one day and you look like this again. <laughs> Why? Because Almost all change, this is, I know these are big statements and it doesn't apply to every single situation, but almost all change is temporary. Man, people don't like to hear that. Almost all change is temporary, and the reason it's temporary is because people do not build in habits to make the change permanent. So this is what happens right here. So I brought this little illustration so this is, the, this is the change, right? Something happens in your life, some big change, and you say, I'm changing everything. I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to start repenting. I'm going to start being humble. I'm going to start talking kind to my wife. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop this, that, or the other, whatever. And you, you change it, and then the only way that that stays permanent is if you take a habit and you put it in place. And now that habit is holding that change in place. And that change will remain permanent. And in order for that change to go away, you have to remove the habit. This is why the the best example is like with our health and fitness because you can see those. uh, But I'm not talking about health and fitness this morning, so please don't get sidetracked on that. But my point is this. If you're, as long as you're doing the right things, you'll stay right where you need to be. But guess what happens the moment you stop? It starts moving back the other direction. What about your walk with Christ? You're going to church faithfully. That's a habit. You're getting up every day reading your Bible. That's a habit. You're, you're spending time in the Word. That's a habit. That will lock in the change that has happened in your life that needs to happen in your life. This is, this is one of the reasons why when kids go to camp, they, they have these, you know, mountaintop experience. They experience God. They encounter God. They come back on fire for God. Maybe that lasts. Maybe it doesn't. What's the difference? Habits. That's the only difference. I know that from experience in my own life. I remember the first year I went to camp. I had that. I came back. It was a matter of weeks. I was back to the same person I was before. But I never forgot it. And I remembered it. And I remember telling God. I said, God, if you'll do that in me again... I'll, I'll start to get up every morning and pray. And guess what? I did that. It locked it in. From that day, 15 years old till 40, I've been doing it. And I'm still living for God, still following for God, still going after God. And it's affected every single thing in my life. But many of my friends that went to that camp, they're not even living for God today. What was the difference? Something special about me? No. The change was locked in by my habits. So I don't listen. This is, this is, these are where phrases like this come from. Talk is cheap. <laughs> don't tell me. Show me. Why? Because we all, we all get tired of this because we know this principle. We know this, this thing. Oh, you're over here? Oh, then two weeks later you'll be here. Oh, you did this? Okay, yeah, you're back over here. We all know people like that. So talk doesn't mean anything. Even change doesn't mean anything sometimes. 
You see a person changing, they're doing, they're going down the right path, going down the right direction. You think, oh man, look at them, they've really turned over a new leaf. Yeah, but I've seen change revert just all the way back to right where it was. Why? Because habits were not put in place that would preserve that change, that would guard that change, that would, that would protect that change. So I like to say this way, all change is temporary, but it's habits that make it permanent. So I want to teach my kids from, a, and here's the, because here's the things, here's the thing about habits. Um, you already, your life is already full of habits. For example, you have a habit of coming to church weekly on Sunday, or you have a habit of coming to church when you feel like it sporadically once a month. Either way, it's a habit. You have a habit of eating healthy. You have a habit of not eating healthy. You have a habit of exercise. You have a habit of not exercising. So your life is already filled with habits, and, and the habits are what have produced all the fruit that you are experiencing in your life. Of course, things happen outside of our control. We understand that, and that's right where we love to go. No, not everything in my life is because of me. You know, this one thing happened that I had no control over. I get it. There's a percentage of that in our life. Absolutely. By and large, what we are experiencing in life is a result of our habits. It's a result of our, another, another word for habits is just patterns of behavior. Things you do consistently. Ways you respond consistently. I, I was reading an article one time uh, where they interviewed a bunch of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and they, they asked them all the same questions. And one of the questions they asked was, if you were to tell the average person, how to change their life instantly. What's the most powerful thing you could tell them to do? What, what's the one thing they could do that would just change their life dramatically? They said, get up one hour earlier every day. And these weren't even Christian people. Not all of them. And I was thinking, man, the power of getting up one hour, building a habit of getting up one hour early to devote that time to God and to devote, it, devote that time to the Word how could that transform and change your life? Or let me say it this way. How has it transformed or changed your life if you've done it? If you know. Our habits are so powerful. Here's the thing I love about habits is it, it puts all the control, it puts all the power back right in your hands. It, tur it turns you from a person who blames everybody else who's always blaming circumstances, blaming people, blaming this, blaming that, it puts the power right back in your hands where you go, you know what, if I do this, this, and this every single day, I could change that. This could improve in my life. I've seen marriages turned around by this, by the way. I've seen marriages turned around by one tweak saying, you know what, I'm going to stop doing this and I'm going to start doing this every single day. And just that one tweak can turn around a relationship, turn around a marriage sometimes. So we have to understand how people change. Most change is temporary. Don't, don't be impressed, okay, when you went to a marriage conference and you came back all in love and now you're kind for three days. Or are you guys ready? Are you went on a vacation and all your problems seem to melt away? It's temporary. I know it's bad news, but it's temporary. It's going to go back to exactly the way it was. Uh, sometimes people move. Well, let's move. And, you know, as Miss Doubtfire said, hopefully our problems won't follow us. You know, well, yeah, you can move and it probably will change. And then guess what? You're going to find yourself right back where you were unless you change and you figure out how to create habits that will lock that change in place. Yeah, 
So most change is temporary. Go ahead and um, just get that in your mind, and let's stop being so enamored with, with you know, change and progress. Well, yeah, it's, it is what it is, and it's going to go back to the way it was unless we lock it in place. And that's every person. And so what we want to do with our kids is we want to build a habit of creating habits while they're young. I want, I want my children to learn this principle young and get in the habit of creating habits. Because it's a lot easier to start creating habits when you're young than it is when you're old. Older. I know somebody just got offended. Sorry. Older. Okay. It's a lot easier to create habits when you're young. For example, my kids, uh, I, I have my kids work out. I've had to do that for a long time. They're not anything big, but I have them get up. They do squats. They do push-ups. They do sit-ups. They've done that since the time they were probably, you know, six years old. And they, they it's not just been straight. I mean, there's, they break and they fall off the wagon and then they get back on. Why? Because I know how hard it is for an old person, older person to establish a, a workout habit. Eating, same thing. Our kids are skinny as rails. We still have, they still have discipline in their eating habits. Why? Because I'm training them to be adults. I'm not raising kids. And I understand that if you establish certain things in their life, that'll never change as they get older. Those habits will be with them. They'll be, and what happens is they begin to see their identity through the lens of their habits. You got to get this. This is how powerful habits are. We will literally begin to see ourselves and our identity will be shaped through the lens of our habits. In other words, if a, if a child is made to, to work, for example, we're talking about work ethic, they will begin to see themselves as a hard worker. And when you begin to see yourself as a hard worker, that's going to change the whole way you go through life. If you see yourself as just let's talk about men specifically. For young boys, if you see yourself as incompetent, can't do anything, my daddy never showed me how to do things, I don't even know how to mow the grass, those thoughts begin to go in. That's the lens you're going to go through life with. So our habits become our identity. I'm a person who prays. I'm a person who has a prayer life. You see, that's an identity. That's how I see myself. So what happens? Well, when my prayer life falls off the wagon, i got to jump back into this because that's who I am. I am a person who prays. I'm a person who puts God first early in the morning. I'm a person who gets up early. You see, these are all identity statements. I begin to see myself that way. I'm a person who rises early. And then you got other people that say, oh, I'm not a morning person. What is that? That's an identity. You, you've established that identity. I don't care if you're a morning person or not. I'm just showing you something. I'm just proving a point. It doesn't matter if you are or not. I'm just saying, I see myself as an early riser from years of habit of doing that. I may not even liked it in the beginning. I may not have even been a morning person, but years of doing it, I became one. I begin to see myself that way. Now that's my identity. And what we want for our children is to establish those identities early. This is the kind of person that I am. And they do that by establishing habits in their life. So most change is emotional. That's why it doesn't impress me, and it shouldn't impress you. Most change is emotional, but it's habits that lock it in place. Even when we discipline our kids, okay, even when we, we correct our kids, we discipline them, really what we're doing is making a habit. See, what we're doing is we're teaching them when this happens, this pain comes in your life. 
And that's why, doing, that's why disciplining in one time doesn't do much, but it's the, it's the consistency of it that builds a pattern and a habit in their life of learning to listen and learning to obey. Because if I, if I don't, this happens. And you build a pattern and a habit in their life where you can, you can take away the pain and they will still obey because they created a habit of listening. They created a habit of denying their flesh. I want to read to you a few quotes on habits. These are, I have some of these saved away. I, I love these. Uh, I remind myself of these from time to time. Now, here's one of my favorites. It says, people do not decide their futures. They decide their habits, and their habits decide their future. Here's another one. We do not rise to the level of our standards. Or you could say, we do not rise to the level of our goals, but we fall to the level of our habits. And this one is so good. Successful people do consistently what others do only occasionally. And that's the difference. See, we all are in here this morning. We all go to church. But there's people in here that go to church weekly, faithfully, habitually. There's people that come every now and then. Is there going to be a difference in that? Yes, there is. And for your children, there are, there are kids, youth, that they show up once a month, once every two months, whatever. There are people that are here every week. Is that going to have a difference in them? Yes, it is. There are people in here that read their Bible occasionally. There are people that read their Bible consistently. Is there going to be a difference? Massive. Massive difference. Because your habits will determine your future. So successful people do consistently what others do only occasionally. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Paul writes this. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So... Run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So he makes this comparison between spiritual things and athletics. And he says in, a, in an athletic competition, you've got people that are so unbelievably disciplined that have amazing habits in their life. They will get up every day at the crack of dawn. They'll run for miles. They'll, you know, if you watch Rocky back in the day, they'll drink 12 raw eggs. You know, they do all these crazy things to try to win. What? A trophy, a belt, a wreath, he says. And he goes, it doesn't make sense. It's something perishable. It's something passing away. After all that self-discipline and after all that work and those habits, really they have nothing at the end in, in God's eyes in the, in the scheme of what's really important. They really have obtained nothing at the end of it. He says, how much more for Christian people that know what this life is really about? How much more for Christian people that have an eternal perspective should we look at an athlete that has disciplines and habits and work ethic in their life and they're really not even fighting for anything? And then people that are fighting for people's eternities, we have no, we're just passive about it and we, we, don't, we don't fight, we don't have the habits, we don't have the discipline. That's his whole point here. He says if people who are in athletics are going to train hard, study hard, discipline their body, how much more we who know what this life is really about and it's going to have eternal consequences what we do every athlete exercises self-control in all things they do it to receive a perishable wreath but we an imperishable in other words it's eternal it's eternal so i do not run aimlessly 
I do not box as one beating the air. Look at this. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul knew the value of discipline. He knew the value of disciplining in his own body and having habits in his life. And really what this goes back to is an understanding of spirit and flesh. See, when you understand the flesh nature, the sin nature, you understand that the sin nature and flesh nature needs boundaries, rules, correction, discipline. Nobody's flesh, uh, nobody's sin nature is just naturally, uh, you know, generous, naturally kind, naturally disciplined. All of our sin nature and flesh tends towards laziness, selfishness. That's the default. So we put these parameters in to help, to help with that. So Paul says, I don't run aimlessly. In other words, I have a purpose, but I do run. I do run, and I do discipline my body, and I keep it under control. What's the point? So I can be effective in this life. So I can be effective. I want to, be, I want to make an impact in this life. I don't want to go through this whole life just on cruise control like I'm on a cruise ship, relaxing the whole time till I go on home to glory. No, I, I look at this life more like we are soldiers. That's how God looks at it. We're here to complete a mission. The relaxing comes later. The, the relaxing, the retirement comes in eternity. But here, we're here to fight. We're here to complete a mission. So why are habits so powerful? Well, because they deviate from the typical way of doing things. Here's the normal way that people do things. They go off a of feeling. If I feel, this is how powerful feelings are because they can, they can direct or dictate life. And so your life is either being dictated by your feelings or it's being dictated by your habits. Okay? My wife loves to make fun of me <laughs> because... This creeps over into a lot of areas of my life. So she'll say, are you hungry? And I'll say, what time is it? And she'll say, what does that matter? Why are you asking me what time it is? I said, are you hungry? I was asking you, are you hungry? That has to do with, is your stomach hurting? Are you hungry? Well, what time is it? Why? Because I eat in windows. I do not eat outside of those windows. If it is five to seven, I eat dinner. Okay, if it is 11 to 1, I eat lunch. This is a habit in my life, and I cannot break it. If you ask me if I'm hungry and it's 4.30, I will say no. It doesn't matter how hungry I am. Because it's just a mental thing. I've just, it's a habit that's, that's, been, that's been built. But the normal way the, 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 in a lot of things in our life that we go off a of feeling. We go off a of feeling. Well, do you, do you feel like going to church today? I don't feel like going to church. They say you don't go. Do I feel like getting up an hour early and spending time with God? Well, if I don't feel like it, I'm going to just roll over and go to bed. Or occasionally you do, occasionally you don't. See, that's the normal way of doing things. What habits do is they say, I will do this every day no matter how I feel. That's a big difference. That's a big difference. I will do this every day no matter how I feel. Or I will do this three days a week no matter how I feel. I will do this every day at this time, no matter how I feel. Feelings are irrelevant. When I feel good, I'll do it. When I feel bad, I'll do it. When I feel happy, I'll do it. When I feel sad, I'll do it. When I feel depressed, I'll do it. When I have energy, when I have no energy, I'll do it because I'm, I'm, doing, I'm following the habit. I'm not following the feeling. 
Now, no one's perfect at this. I'm not sitting up here like some, you know, iron, iron will, you know, guy that just has and never, never fails in this. Everybody fails in this. Everybody makes mistakes in this. Everybody gives into their feelings. I get it. But, but we have to have the habits that the majority of the time, this is how we live our life. I want to tell you a story about two guys. This was uh, in the early 1900s. These were the first two uh, explorers, or one of them was the first explorer to reach the South Pole. His name was Roald Amundsen. And there were two guys, uh, two teams, two expeditions that started out for the South Pole at the same time. It had never been, the South Pole had never been reached. And so there were two expeditions, two they trained for months. Both of them had massive amounts of experience. Uh, math, massive amounts of supplies and funding and, and all of that. Two, two great guys, but they had two different approaches. So October of 1911, they both set out. It was going to be a 1,400-mile trip. They set out from two different locations, but both of them were going to be about 1,400 miles. 700 miles one way, 700 miles back. It was going to take three to four months to do this trip. So, as a kind of a spoiler alert, Amundsen, Roald Amundsen would succeed with flying colors, and Scott, Robert Scott, would perish along with all 17 of his men. And there were many differences, but in later years, when people began to look at the, the expedition in the way they did it, they identified one, well, they identified several things, but there was one key difference between the way that they led their they led their teams. They were similar in age, similar experience, similar supplies. But Amundsen had a strategy called the 20-mile march. And the 20-mile march was this idea that every single day we will march 20 miles, no matter what. If the weather is amazing, we're not going to try to do 40, we're not going to try to do 50. And they had dog sleds and things like that. Every single day we're going to do 20 miles. No more, no less. When the weather is awful, we will do 20 miles. When it is good, we will do 20 miles. We will do 20-mile march every single day. Scott, his plan was the opposite. His plan was on bad days, bad weather, bad storms, we're going to hunker down in the tents. On good days, we're going to make the time up. We're going to hit 50 miles, 60 miles in a day, and we're going, to make, we're going to make the time up. So in the bad times, they would hunker down. Well, you know, storms would come. Sometimes they would be hunkered down for weeks because the weather was so bad, as you can imagine. Sometimes negative 40, you know, degrees and, and huge wind storms and things like this. Well, what happened? Well, on December 15th, 1911, Amundsen reached the South Pole. Remember, they started in October. So December 15th, Amundsen reached the South Pole 700 miles. Scott was only halfway there. Of the 700 miles that he had to go, he was 360 miles behind Amundsen. On January 17th, 1912, so we went over into the next year, Scott did arrive at the South Pole. And on that very day, Amundsen was already 500 miles back towards his direction and only he was only eight days away from completion on january 25th 
Amundsen arrived back at base on the exact day that he had pinned over four months ago. Because he said we were going to march 20 miles a day, so it was just a calculation from there. He knew the exact day that he would arrive back. That's amazing. What happened to Scott? He and a few of his team would be found eight months later frozen to death in their tents only 10 miles from their next supply depot. So you, so this is what happens. You have these impossible situations and one person makes a decision of consistency, habit, and the other person says, basically, you're going to go off a of feel. You're going to go off a of feeling. Well, if it's weather's good, if it's not, we're going to travel. And you, and you see the results. So I, when we're talking about our kids and talking about training our kids, it's, we have to put this in them, that feelings, okay, how you feel is not the thing. The thing is, what habits have you established in your life? And you're going to have to stick to those habits no matter how you feel. There are days you're going to feel like going to church. Great. What a, what a blessing when you feel like going. Does it change it when you don't feel like it? No. Doesn't for me. I got to get up here and preach. I mean, if I didn't show up, anyway, I guess one of y'all would get up here and do it. But no, you can't go off of that. You have to do, and, and of course we know this when we go to work and things like that, but the workforce is in shambles right now in a, in a large part is because of this. We don't have, we don't have good habits in our life. One of the interesting things about Scott was he did not blame his failure on himself. This was interesting because all the way uh, through he kept a journal and they found his journal. So they kind of knew what was going on in his mindset and his, and his thoughts. He did not blame his failure on himself. You know what he blamed? Bad luck. He blamed bad luck. This is what he said. He complained in his journal about bad luck. Our luck in weather is preposterous. How I many he had the same weather as, as a Munson? Exact same. Our luck in weather is preposterous. He said, it is more than our share of ill fortune. How great may be the element of luck. In reality, he and a Munson both experienced good weather and conditions on 56% of the days. So 56% of the time, actually, they had good weather. Which, I mean, still, a lot of bad weather. But when you begin to experience failure, when people begin to experience failure, they're going to find something to blame. They're going to find something to point to what is the problem. They're gonna, and it's going to be a lot of times other people. It's going to be circumstances. What we want to create in our kids is when you start getting ready to blame something, that you turn the finger around this way. Don't start blaming everything because you have way more control over the situation than you realize. So many times when we have conversations with our kids and they're mad at one or the other and they're, they're frustrated at each other and they're fighting, so many times before we begin the conversation, I will ask them, before you start telling me why you're upset about them, I want you to tell me at least one way that you contributed to this. Before you can tell me anything about what they did, I want to hear one one thing, one way how you are at fault because of this situation. Why? Because I'm training them to think. Before I blame others, I look at myself. Before I start pointing the finger at other people, I want to first be real clear on my part in this. So, when we don't have, so, so when we have habits 
good habits in our life, it creates kids that are self-sufficient, that are self-starters, they're self-motivated, they're self-reliant. And they, they, once they realize the power of it, they realize that they can change most circumstances in their life just by having good habits. When they don't have good habits and they're lazy and they don't have any work ethic, they develop a tendency to blame other people for their problem. Because when you are failing in life, when you're failing in marriage, you're failing at your job, it's very painful to turn the finger here and go, it's, it's me. But see, a person with good habits has a different experience in life because when they're getting negative feedback, they're having a negative experience, their boss doesn't like them, they're having trouble in their marriage, they've learned all along the way, if I implement good habits, I can change this. If I start doing this every single day, if I put enough work into it, I can change this situation. But a child who doesn't have that in their tool belt, who has no work ethic and no habits, they're going to experience those same situations and they're going to complain They're going to blame others. They're going to feel sorry for themselves. They're going to think they always get the short end of the stick. Where in reality, there could be somebody right alongside them that's having the exact same circumstances they're having, but they're succeeding because they have good habits and good work ethic in their life. I've said this so many times as a staff, church staff, we we talk about these things, you know, how to help people. Uh, who, Who sees change in our church? Who doesn't? Who responds to counseling set? Who doesn't? Who responds to sermons? Who doesn't? We have these conversations so we can tweak. We can improve. We can get better. And here's what I've learned. When somebody comes in this church, no matter what condition they're in, they could could have never been church. They could never crack the Bible. When someone comes in this church and they have work ethic, good habits, and are self-disciplined, that person will change almost more than anyone else. And it doesn't even matter if they have no experience with God or not prior to that. Because when they come in and with those good habits, they've developed good habits, good work ethic, and good discipline. When you start teaching them about reading books, podcasting, listening to the Word of God on audio, getting up early in the morning so you can, they can do it because they already have those things in their life and they see change like that. And they'll, they'll surpass people that have been 20 years in church that don't have good habits and have never put these things into practice. That's how powerful it is. What types of habits and disciplines should children have? Well, I'm going to give you a few. You could certainly add to this list. These are just kind of off the top of my head. But, uh, and, and they're in no particular order. They're not in order of importance. I'm just going to give you a few that I jotted down here. Uh, Number one is they should have a a habit of attending church. Habit, a pattern of behavior, a a pattern of behavior that is removed from feeling. We're going to do this no matter how we feel. We're going to do this regularly and consistently. And if that pattern and habit is put in a child when they are young, it'll be part of their life for the rest of their life. Not only will they attend church, but they will raise their kids and their family in church. Their marriage will be in church. You are setting them up for success when you teach them to go to church regularly. Because I can tell you this, that marriages and families do better when they attend church regularly. So you may not think there's much to it. You think, oh, we're not going to go this morning. Yet you're teaching your kids to have a habit of going whenever they feel like it. And listen, that's going to affect their future marriage and it's going to affect their family. It will have consequences and impact down the road. 
Because you didn't have habits and you didn't pass that on to your kids. So number one, they have to have a habit of attending church regularly. What kind of uh, habits do you have in this area? Okay, how do you view church? Well, it likely has to do with how you were raised, maybe. If you weren't raised going to church. I know I was raised going every time the door was open and that, that stuck in my life. My kids are being raised that way. I'm sure it's going to stick in their life. Okay, so the, the habits are passed on in a sense. So what is your habit with this? Are you a weekly attender? Are you a once a month attender? Do you come every, you know, three months? And, and this is not to go, oh, you should be doing more. I'm just saying, whatever you are, there's fruit in your life because of it. That's how habits work. So we want our kids to learn to go to church often. Why? Because it's God's system. It's, it's, he knew what he was doing. He's the one that built the church. The Bible says he's the head of the church. He's the builder of the church. This has been going on for thousands of years. God's the one instituted it, and there's something powerful about his people gathering together, worshiping together, and hearing the word of God. It's an hour and a half out of a seven-day week that makes an enormous change, an enormous difference in people's life. Does it, does it, uh, is it instant? No. But I'll tell you this, the power is in the consistency. When someone says, well, I don't get much out of church, I always want to start with, well, how often do you come? Because I could go to my gym I could, I, could go to my, I could go to my gym, you know, once a month and go, well, I ain't getting much out of this. Well, <laughs> plug it in. <laughs> no, you're probably not. No, the power's in the consistency of it. The power's in the consistency of it. It's not, a, it's not a magic pill. It's not a genie in a bottle. But the power is in the consistency of being in worship, being in the presence of God, and hearing the word on a regular basis. And what happens is your mind begins to change over time. So we want to build that habit and that pattern in our kids. We want to build a habit for prayer and devotional time. If you train your kids to get up, well, let's back up from there. If you don't even train them to get up. In other words, you, you just walk in and you wake them up. That's at a certain age, and all these things are age-specific. That's not a good habit because when they get married, their wife is going to be ticked off. She got to come in there and wake him up and drag him out of bed or vice versa. No, at a certain age, they have to start, start setting their alarm. I'll tell you, this was not necessarily an easy one for us. But at a young age, they started setting their alarm. And there were consequences if they didn't set their alarm self-imposed by missing things, not being a part of things. Yeah, that would happen. No, they, they set their alarm and we, have, we, we train them to get up, uh, you know, in time to be able to have a devotional time, to do physical fitness if they want to do that. They get up in time to do, to do those things. And again, if these habits are put in them from a young age, it'll follow them for the rest of their life. They'll, they'll be a person that gets up an hour early and doesn't think twice about it. It's, matter of fact, if they sleep in, they'll be mad. When they sleep in, they'll be aggravated. Oh, I didn't get up this morning. Man, I wanted to do this and this. It'll be, self, it'll be built in. It's self-rewarding. You build those habits in when they're young, they're going to have a much easier time in life. Listen, if, if you don't put these habits in them, you are preparing them for a difficult road. They will have trouble in life. And it's going to come, it comes back on us as parents because we were the ones that should have put these habits in them. So if you, if you get up, if they grow up and they don't go to church and they don't work out and they don't eat right and they don't have a prayer life, well, 
it was on us to put that in them. It was on us to train them and, and teach them and show them how to have these habits in their life. When a child is young, they are like a sponge. They're absorbing these things. Their character is being formed. They're soaking up these things. And if you can get it in them when they're young, it will pay massive dividends as they get older and they become adults. So our kids need to have a habit of having prayer and devotional time, either in the mornings or the evenings before they go to bed. Or you can figure out another time. They can do it over lunch. I'm not real particular about that, but they need to have a, devo- a time of devotion with the Lord where they read the Bible and they pray. And they listen to worship music. They spend time with God each morning. That will be one of the most valuable habits they have in their life as they become adults. Habits concerning uh, chores, work ethic. They should learn that chores do not get done magically. Dishes don't get washed. Clothes don't get full. Beds don't get made magically. Someone's doing that, and someone's doing it consistently if it's getting done. And they need to be part of that. They need to, they need to have chores. Things they do that nobody reminds them to do. Things they take care of and that they excel at. And when they don't do it, there's consequences. And when they do do it, there's rewards. They have to have patterns and and habits on these things. They need to have habits with money. Saving money. How they spend money. You know, we've taught our kids that they can, uh, the first thing they do with their money when they get it is they tithe. You know, I was that way. When I was a kid, I was taught to tithe 10% right off the top from the time I was a kid. I I never considered that 10% mine. Never struggled with it. Never, it was always budgeted that way. We built our life around it. It was never a sacrifice to tithe Because from the time I was 10, making money, we always tithed. So whenever we got married, my wife tithed. Whenever we got married, all our bills were built around it. We never considered that money ours. It always went to the kingdom of God. Why? Because it was a habit from the time we were young. So when when our kids get money, first thing, right off the top, tithe. Every, Every dollar that comes in, they give it to the Lord. They give it to the kingdom of God. What's next? They save a percentage, they keep a percentage. And what they're saving, they're saving for something big. You know, they have something in mind. They have a goal that they'll save for. And then they don't touch that money. And they have another portion that they can spend on whatever they, whatever they want. They're learning to manage money. And this is a fun one because to watch what they spend money on and how they act when the other one has hundreds stacked away and they have nothing because they've, they've burned it all on Snickers, you know, whatever. It's, but it's all learning lessons and it's what we're teaching them. Habits about money management. Sleep patterns. I already kind of mentioned setting your, setting your alarm. But sleep patterns are a big one in life. I mean, I've, I've worked with people that literally cannot be successful because they cannot get out of bed. They sleep late constantly. They miss appointments. They're late for work. Their sleep patterns are ruining their life. That's not an overstatement. You've probably all met people like that. Their sleep patterns, they need, we get up at the same time every day, we go to bed at the same time every day, it's that consistency and that structure. Why? Because the flesh needs it. The flesh needs it. It's understanding the flesh. Health and fitness, I already mentioned that. They have little workout routines they do, and again, they're not perfect at any of these. Don't, don't think we're like the perfect little golden family that has every, no, but these, this is what we strive for. This is what we're aiming for, and when we, when we do fall off the wagon, we try to get it right. But we're not perfect at this, but they have health and fitness. We teach them uh, generosity and thankfulness, habits, habits they should have with generosity and thankfulness, meaning 
When it's mom's birthday, you buy her something with your own money. When it's dad's birthday, when it's mother's day, father's day, you buy them something. Why? Because you need to learn honor. I mean, I'm thankful for my wife on Mother's Day, but she's not my mother. She's your mother, and she's doing a lot for you. And you need to be thankful. You need to be grateful. You need to spend your own money. It needs to cost you a little bit. So habits of generosity, and, and sometimes, and I hear this all the time, and all of these issues, all of these issues, I hear this from parents all the time, pick out any one that we just mentioned, and they'll say, oh, well, it doesn't bother me if they do that. Oh, I don't care if they get me anything or not. Listen, it's not about you. It's not about you. That is the most short-sighted, selfish mentality. It is not about you. It is about training them to be a good human being. They need to do it. Oh, it doesn't bother me if they don't do it. I don't care. It's not good for them. And guess what? Their spouse is going to care down the road. It will matter whether you've taught them to think about themselves on, or, or think about other people on somebody's birthday, on special occasions. That will affect their marriage. They will either have a habit of thinking of others on special days or they will not. And that will affect their, their future and their marriage. So when we teach our children habits, we're actually activating a spiritual principle. And it is the law of sowing and reaping. This is really all habits are. Is it's, it's, it's utilizing the principle in Scripture that God calls sowing and reaping. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. In other words, this is a spiritual law. This is as sure as gravity. He says, he's so strong about this. He says, do not be deceived, meaning do not think incorrectly on this. Do not be lied to about this. Do not tell yourself any differently than this. Do not let Satan lie to you about this. God will not be mocked. Whatever a person sows, that will he also reap. When a child has a habit of any of the things we mentioned, let's just use the, the getting, up and, getting up early in the morning. When they have a habit, every single morning they hit that alarm and get out of bed, they're sowing a seed. And that seed will have a harvest. And th- when, you, when you develop habits in your life, you are putting this principle of sowing and reaping to work for you. Because the principle of sowing and reaping, again, also works off of consistency. You're not going to destroy your life by sowing bad seeds one day, maybe, depending on what it was, but you can. That's not how most lives are destroyed by just one bad. It's, it's sowing bad seeds for days and weeks and months and years and decades on end, and then all of a sudden that harvest finally comes home and slaps you right between the eyes. But it's a good, it works the other, the other way, too. Yeah. A person, oh, he was an overnight success. Wrong. Never happens. Not an overnight success. They were sowing seeds that you didn't know about. They looked, they looked small and insignificant, so nobody paid attention to them. But they were sowing good seeds, good habits, good work ethic, good discipline. And then all that harvest came home, and you see them shoot up like a rocket. Why? Because they had good habits that nobody knew about. And guess what? If they're, if they're going to stay up there at that place, they're going to have to have habits in place to keep them there. And the moment they remove those habits, they'll shoot back down just like a rocket too. That's how powerful habits are. But this is the law of sowing and reaping. God, 
He didn't necessarily give us the word habit, but he talked to us about sowing and reaping. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says the same thing. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Man, I love the Bible because the Bible puts it squarely back in your hands. Do you want a little? It's in your hands. Do you, do, you want a, do you want a lot of money? Do you want a lot of success? Do you want a lot of good relationships? Do you want a lot of friends? Do you want a fruitful marriage? He says it's very simple. Sow the right seeds. He who sows a little will get a little. He who sows a lot will get a lot. When our kids are upset by something that is happening to them, they feel like they got an unfair shake, they're wanting to blame other people, please bring them back to this scripture right here. Please bring them right back to this scripture. And when they complain about, and I hear it again, I hear these things all the time. Oh, I go to the youth group, you know, nobody talks to me, and oh, there's no, fr- we don't have any friends, this, and you hear, you, when you hear these kind of things come out of your kid's mouth, you got to think about this. Am I creating someone who blames other people and sees the world through that lens? They blame everybody else for their problems. Or am I going to train them to be someone who thinks like this? Hey, you want friends? So friendship. You want people to talk to you? So talking in to other people. You want people to think about you on your birthday? Sow it. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Again, it's not magic because it takes time, but God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked, and we will reap, we will reap what we sow. So one, I've said this in the beginning, one of the, the most powerful gifts you can give your children is to teach them how to develop habits in their life. It will transform their future. And I have just, in my time in ministry, I have, I have seen this. It is so hard sometimes to teach an old dog new tricks. But if you, can put them in, if you can put it in them when they're young, and they can grow up with it, thinking like it, developing that, it will change their whole future. They will have such an easier time in this life. But if you just let it go, if you just let it go, let it go, when they, are, when they are older, they will have people in their life, pastors, bosses, who trying to help them, wanting to help them, mentoring them. And it's very difficult for them to change if they don't have this in their life. It's that important. 